morning. Good to have you with us. Let's have a word of prayer, and then we're going to, um, to get into God's word together. <clears throat> Father, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you for the living word that came and dwelt upon us, among us. And thank you, Lord, that we can celebrate at Christmas. We celebrate every day, Lord, but especially at Christmas. We just pause and we think about the incarnation, the fact that you became flesh and dwelt among us so that we, you might know us, you might know our weaknesses, you might identify with us, that you might save us, cleanse us from our sin, and impute to us the perfect righteousness that's required for us to stand before a holy God, and we thank you for that. Now, Father, we want to honor you as we look into your word this morning. We ask that you would give wisdom and insight to us, Lord, help us to look at the word not as something that was written long ago and applies to Moses, but something that we need to take and make applicable in our lives today. This truth here this morning, Lord, that we need, and so we ask you to apply it to our lives, and we trust you to do it now in Jesus' name. Amen. I was thinking this week about um, the different Old Testament saints um, and wondering in my own mind, well, who, who was the greatest of the, of the Old Testament people, Old Testament saints? Who did the Jewish people consider the greatest? And I don't know that there's a specific answer there. Certainly, Abraham, as the founder of the nation, was, was a great and godly man that God used. And we studied a couple of weeks ago about Noah and his obedience and then this week we're going to come to, to the life of Moses. And I don't know but what maybe, to the Jewish people anyway, Moses is the, the kingpin, so to speak. Okay, um, he, They see him as, as their deliverer, as their Messiah, if you will. Because he's the one who brought the nation out of, out of bondage. And unfortunately, they disconnect when it comes to making the spiritual application there that we have a Messiah who is greater even than Moses, but he's a great man that they look to. Moses gave them the law, and so he's an important figure in, in the Old Testament life of faith. So this morning we want to look at his, his life a little bit, and we're going to see how Moses honored God through the godly choices that he made based on faith, okay? We're talking about faith. We've identified it as the outworking of our convictions that are based on the life, uh, based on the assurance that we have from and in the promises of God. We take the promises of God, we study them, we, we build our lives on them, we, we are sure of them. This is where our assurance comes from, the promises of the Word of God. As that takes place, form in our life as that molds our lives. We build convictions. And those convictions are, the, are what we step out in faith on. So we take the promises of God's word. They change our lives. They equip our lives. We step out in faith and conviction on what we believe the word of God is telling us to do, the way the word of God has, has equipped us to do. And in doing that, that's 
active faith. Okay? The Word of God building our lives, changing our lives, bringing conviction so that by faith we can step out and, uh, and live in dependence on God. So this morning we want to look at Moses, how Moses honored God through godly choices that he made based on his faith. Okay? We're going to be in Hebrews 11. We'll just kind of read it verse by verse as we go through rather than taking the time to read them all. We're going to say, by, by faith, God's sovereign plan for Moses was fulfilled. And in this point, we're not really talking so much about Moses' faith, but we're talking about the, the, the faith of his parents, the faith that God worked in, in the lives of his parents. In chapter 11, verse 23, it says, By faith Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw that he was a beautiful child and they were not afraid of the king's edict. Okay. In spite of the fact that Pharaoh said that all children must die, Amram and Jochebed, by, by their faith in God, took this baby, this, this baby that they saw to be a beautiful baby, they took him and they hid him. They hid him from the, from the, uh, from the government forces. Okay? And they kept him like that for three months. And then when the time came that, that they could not conceal him any longer, uh, God worked providentially in their heart to, to enable them to trust him to put him in that little basket and put him on the, on, among the reeds there where he, they knew that Pharaoh's, Pharaoh's daughter would bathe. Now, you, you, that, that takes some faith, guys. You know, I don't know about you, but I want to exercise faith, but I still want to have control over what happens. You, you, you do that sometime. They took this baby that they loved, and they, they just laid him uh, in the in the Egyptian's backyard, so to speak. You know, that's faith. Okay. Um, Amron and Jacobed's faith enabled them to see past the king's threat and to trust the unseen plan of God. Their assurance was based on their knowledge of Jehovah and his faithfulness that he had displayed to his people. They couldn't have understand how it was going to work out. You know, it's... The old saying, hindsight's always better. You know, we can look back on Moses' life and we can see how it all worked out and how God prevailed. But they didn't have that insight. Okay. They had to trust God. And then we see that, that God's plan was fulfilled for him and that uh, God sovereignly placed Moses' mother in his life to teach him about God and his true people and their need for a deliverer. What an What a a response from the Lord to the faith of these parents. They laid this little baby in God's hands and God gave him right back to them to protect them and to cherish them. And you know, that early time, moms, you take, you take encouragement here. Those early years that they taught him were the years that they held him steady when he grew up. You remember when he, um, he had the altercation with the, with, the, um, with the Egyptians, where he killed the Egyptians. And there's a reference there. I didn't write it down. I should have. It talks about the fact that, that he saw himself 
as being possibly a deliverer of God's people. Now, if he had wanted to do him one Egyptian at a time, that would have taken a long time. God had better plans. But it shows the fact that God had built into his mind, and I think it had to be through his mother's teaching, that there was a need for a deliverer and that possibly God somehow was going to use him to bring that about. So, you know, even when we invest in these little ones, I mean, right down the hall, we've got zillions of them down there, right? The investment that we make in their lives today, we have no concept of what God is doing or how he's, you know, so we don't need to be weary in well-doing. We need to invest in those little critters. We need to, to, to trust God to do whatever he's going to do in their lives. Okay? So God's uh, sovereign plan for Moses' life is, is going to be fulfilled, and we're going to see this as we talk more and more this morning. In verse 24, we're going to see that Moses rejected the treasures of Egypt. He says, By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Now, for 40 years, Moses had been a prince of Egypt. Okay? I don't know. He was highly educated. He was a part of the royal court. He had every privilege that a, a human being could probably have. Okay? But this, this did not blunt his, his hope, his knowledge of Israel and the promise of God. Okay. He had all of the world laid at his feet, and yet God didn't allow that to take him away, didn't allow him to focus on that. Okay. He rejected that. He, he made a, a stand against the best that the world could offer. And I think that's in all of our lives, before we can go very far, and, and God fulfilling his plan for our life, we have to make a stand against what we know is not part of God's plan. We may not understand how it's all going to work out, but there are certain things that we know should not be a part of God's plan, will not be a part of God's plan. Uh, think in terms of Acts and the Bereans. You know, they, they took everything to the Word of God. We need to be doing that in our lives and testing the things that we, the choices that we make the things that come into our lives to see if this, according to God's word, is something we could consider but would be God, part of God's will. Moses was a chosen instrument, and he would fulfill God's plan through him. 1 Thessalonians 5.24 says, Faithful is he who calls you, he also will bring it to pass. Psalm 138 says that God will accomplish the things that concern me. What a promise, huh? What a promise. Everything that God wants to do in our lives, he will do. He will complete. Now, sometimes we fight against it. We kick and we scream, right? And we just make it hard on ourselves. But God's word says that he will accomplish everything that he has for us. From the world's perspective, Moses was sacrificing everything but from a spiritual standpoint, he was not, for he was looking to the reward. We're going to talk about more about that in a little while. But over and over and over, we are seeing in, in the 11th chapter that we have to look past our present circumstances. We have to look beyond that 
to see if we can discern what's God, what God is doing for us. And sometimes we can't, you know. We can't and we have to trust him. Uh, Hebrews 12, 2 says that we're fixed... Um, our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. If Jesus had focused his attention on the immediate, on his present circumstances, he might have not been able to follow. Of course, he, he would have been able to. But when we concentrate on our, on our present circumstances and the things we're involved in, we lose sight of God's ultimate plan. Okay? We may not know what that plan is in detail right now, but we need to learn to look past our present circumstances to that. Um, I don't remember where I heard it, but it, it, it helps me so much uh, saying that when you can't understand his ways, you can trust his heart. You know, that's so often the case. We don't know what tomorrow is going to bring, but we can trust his heart because he says he will fulfill his purposes for us he will be with us he'll never leave us or forsake us so a moses was able to reject these these treasures and and, and reading macarthur this week on that that rejection was a a stand that he had to make it was something that he just not, didn't kind of float into and sometimes that's the way we want to do it but you know we need to take and look at our circumstances, look at our opportunities based on God's word and make a decisive stand. This has got to go. This is what, what I need to invest in. It's not something that just comes to us. Okay? So we see that, um, that Moses rejected the treasures of Egypt, but then in verse 25 and 26, we see that Moses, uh, by faith, Moses chose, there's a decision, God over the world's pleasures. Okay, a decisive decision and action on his part. Verses 25 and 26 say, choosing, the key word, choosing rather, to endure ill treatment for the people, with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin. Considering the reproach of, of Christ greater than the creature, and the, sorry, my bifocals are not focusing for me. Considering the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. Here again, he was looking past the treasures of Egypt to God's reward. Okay? Moses chose God over the world's pleasures. It was not that Moses was rejecting pleasure and reward. He very much wanted these but by faith in God's promises, he knew where the true and lasting rewards were to be found. There's nothing wrong with looking for rewards. There's nothing wrong with serving God to be rewarded if we're serving him properly and if the reward that we're seeking is what he has for us. He endured temporary ill treatment with the people of God for he was looking to the reward the true reward based on the eternal promises of God. So again, Moses looked past the present into the future. Um, Jim Elliott, we're all familiar with his, his quote. He is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep 
to gain what he cannot lose. That's, that's kind of where Moses was, you know. He was willing to give it up. But, you know, one of Satan's ploys to us, one of his ways he gets to us is to make us think that what we are getting today is what, where it's really at. This is, the, this is the important thing. You know, this momentary pleasure, oh, man, I just got to have it, you know. But um, pleasures of sin have basically three characteristics. They're always deceptive. They're always passing. And they always require a choice. Satan's Satan's a a past master of promising us things that he can't fulfill, right? They're deceptive in nature. They always pass away. Man, I've just got to have this thing. I've just got to make this decision. I've got to do this. But in light of eternity, it's just a fleeting vapor, okay? But then also, as we see, it requires a choice, and that's where we come in because God enables us, God equips us to be able to make choices that honor him. By the power of his word, by the power of his spirit, we do have the ability to make the choices that we need to make. A couple of key words there in, in verse 36. It says, he considered the reproach. Okay? It, Moses didn't just wake up one morning and decide this was a decision he was going to make. We're talking about a 40-year period between the time that, that he was born and the time that, um, that he had to make this. He made this decision to stand, and God called him out of Egypt. Okay. He considered. He waited out. He gave thoughtful, careful thought and attention to what God was offering him as opposed to what the world was offering. He considered it. He waited out. And this is something we need to do. We don't need to make snap decisions. We need to take our time, get into God's word, allow the Holy Spirit to give us wisdom. Consider what, what's really involved here. What are the pros and cons? We need to, uh, to seek godly counsel. You know, there's not one of us that don't need to go to a brother or a sister. I'm not necessarily talking about you know, getting your name on the list and getting eight weeks of counseling. That's not what we're talking about. But going to a godly brother or a godly sister and saying, hey, I've got this decision to make. Help me with it. Help me to work through it. Give me insight that's not, that doesn't involve my emotions that are involved in this situation. He considered it. And then it says the reproach of Christ. And I, Where does Christ come into this? I mean, we're talking about Old Testament time. Did Moses really consider Christ? What what did he know about Christ? That's always been a a question in my mind. I didn't really understand it really until studying this week. But the the Greek there, this translated Christ, can be translated Messiah or it can be translated Deliverer. Okay? So what he's saying... I believe, is that, that um, the reproach that, that Moses was going to have to bear to be God's deliverer of his people, to him was greater than what Egypt had to offer. I don't think it's saying that he had some supernatural insight into Christ and his coming and his crucifixion. 
But he's talking about a deliverer that God had promised. Okay? Whether Moses realized at that point that he was the deliverer, I, I doubt that he did. But the, but the reproach that he had to, to take on uh, because of this, he was willing to do. Um, could be saying that the reproach he had to bear as God's deliverer of his people was to him greater riches than, the, than what Egypt had to offer. We must receive all blessings from the Lord with open hands. We talked about the fact that Moses for 40 years, I mean, you know, he was, he was as, probably as rich as they could get. At this point in time in history, um, Egypt was the greatest society going as far as I know. Okay? For 40 years, he had been able to enjoy these riches. And then all of a sudden, God's will for him changes. Does that happen in our lives sometime? Not that any of us are the, are the queen or the king of Egypt. But some of us do go through times when we have financial turnarounds. Right? And we have to adjust our lives. Okay? We have to make an adjustment. Sometimes it's from affluence to a little or nothing. And sometimes, and I think even more dangerously, is from little or nothing to affluence. You know, one of the hardest things to do to be as a Christian is to be a wealthy person. That's my take on it. Okay, never known the experience. You understand, but you know, I think that's part of the. You know, it's harder for a rich man to go through the eye of a needle. It's it's something that pulls our heart away from the Lord. God's will for him had changed. Moses was able and willing to turn his back on the earthly riches for eternal treasures. Moses rejected the treasures of Egypt and took his stand for, the, for God and for his people. Okay. So Moses rejected the world and he chose God. And I think it's got to be in that order, right? We've got to reject what the Lord, what the world offers us before we can deal with what the Lord wants in our lives and allow him to build into our lives the godly character that he wants. Okay, we see also that by faith, Moses endured as seeing the invisible. Verse 27. By faith, he left Egypt, not bearing the wrath of not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is unseen. Okay? He endured as seeing the invisible. You know, later on in, in, um, uh, in the 11th chapter of Hebrews, it talks more and more about the fact that, that all of these, uh, many of these people in the Old Testament never received the, the answer to the the prayers that they were praying, they never received the, a full understanding of what God was talking about when he made these promises for the future. But they endured as though they did see, and they saw it by faith. 
He says that, uh, verse 27, by faith he left Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king. Now, there was one time in Moses' life when he did fear the wrath of the king. Do you remember that? When he tried to, to kill, well, he did kill the Egyptian, and when it was made public uh, and Moses found out about it, Moses hit the road, didn't he? And, and that is fear, maybe godly fear, I'm not sure, but I think that, that in that situation we can see that that was God's will to reposition him. God was taking him out of Egypt so that he could deal with him for the next 40 years, prepare him and send him back as a deliverer. But in this case, he was not fearing the pressure. One of the pressures Moses faced was fear because of the wrath of the king. Fear is one of Satan's most effective weapons he uses against us. He fills us with anxiety, which is the opposite of faith, and he causes us to doubt his promises. Fear can wreck our lives. Anxiety can wreck our lives. And all of us deal with it at some point. We can't say that we don't. We do. With some of us, it's a, it takes a, a greater toll. But by faith, we can deal with these fears. The Word of God tells us, you know, uh, the spirit of fear is not from God. If it's not from God, you know where it comes from, from the enemy. But fear, if we allow it to grow, can devastate our walk. It can, it can just tie us up. It can keep us from being able to accomplish the things that God wants us to do. It can keep us from accomplishing uh, the, the uh, horizontal ministry and relationships that, we, that God wants us to develop. Fear leads to doubt. You know, if we, if we start doubting God's word, then the assurance that we talked about that grows out of that word turns into fear. A few examples. Abraham gave into fear when he, fought, when he thought the king would kill him and take his wife. Did that twice, didn't he? Aaron was afraid of the, uh, of the people and gave them a golden calf. Ten of the twelve tribes gave a bad report because they feared the inhabitants of the land. Peter feared, the disciples feared and, and, and ran. Joe fears and runs. <laughs> do that more often than I'd like for you to do, to know, I think. But it's by seeing the invisible, by seeing God's hand working in our lives. It's by looking back and seeing what he's done for us in the past. Taking his word that he never changes. He's always there. He's always there. Um, Philippians. I've got to remember where I'm going because it's not in my notes. I, <clears throat> for years, decades, I'd go when I needed the, Philippians 4. I'd go to Philippians 4, 6 and be anxious for nothing, okay? I'm fearful, I'm anxious. So what's the scripture I go to? Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, okay? Great promise, one that we can, can stand on. But I never, I didn't see the latter part of the previous verse. This is out of context. I never saw the the impact that the last 
part of the previous verse has on this verse because it says the Lord is what? Near. Be anxious for nothing. Okay? What a difference. Be anxious for nothing. Okay, be anxious for nothing. That's my, that's my burden. That's, I, I got to come up with that lack of anxiety. And that's the way it could be read. But that is given in the context, the fact that the Lord is near. He'll never leave us or forsake us. Okay? We never have to worry about that. Moses had experienced God's protection in his life over a period of 80 years. His faith was based on the assurance he had as a result of living in dependence on God's promises, and it resulted in conviction that enabled him to overcome, overcome fear. Okay. Now, in that sentence is the, the uh, definition that we've been using for faith. Assurance based on God's word, based on God's promise, bring conviction in our lives. Dependence on that, on what God has promised us, enables us to overcome whatever it might be, enables us to move out, and that is faith working in our lives. Faith enabled him to look past his circumstances. We've said that before, haven't we? enabled him to look past his circumstances and endure as seeing him who is unseen. Hebrews 10, 36 reminds us, for you have need of endurance so that when you have done the will of God, you might receive the promise. Faith and endurance is totally, absolutely inseparable. If we're going to respond in faith, it's going to require endurance. Now, God very seldom just plops an answer into our life and it's the right answer right then and it's, we've, got, we've got all that we need right there. I'm probably just confusing things. We, we have to, to, to exercise our faith, we have to endure. We have to live through that circumstance. We have to trust God. We have to endure in order to receive what God has for us. You have need of endurance. Why? So that when you have received, when you have done the will of God, you may receive what was promised. Okay. When we talk about seeing the invisible, I love Elijah. He's one of my favorite characters in the Old Testament. But you know, he was, God told him to go to Ahab and to confront him about the sin that was in his life. Okay. Well, Ahab was probably one of the vilest human beings that ever lived, second only to his wife Jezebel. Okay. He was violent. He was, well, you, you fill in the blanks. And Eli he told Elijah, now, Elijah, you go and you confront him and you tell him that there's not going to be rain for three years, and it's because of his wickedness. Okay? What did Elijah say? Hebrews 17.1, he says, when he confronted him, he says, as the Lord, the God of Israel lives, what? Before whom I stand. 
See, uh, Elijah was able to exercise the faith. He was able to be obedient to God because he had this understanding that this invisible God <laughs> was with him. He had a standing before God. He was, he was, uh, there's not one thing that Ahab could do to him that God didn't allow. Moses endured as seeing the invisible. He was looking, he endured as seeing him who was unseen. How about us today? You know, we have the word of God, we have the ministry of the Holy Spirit, but we don't have a visual presence, do we? God doesn't intend for us to. But we have the assurance, the unseen assurance. Okay, by faith, Moses trusted God's Passover. Hebrews eleven twenty eight. By faith, he kept the Passover and the sprinkling of blood so that he who destroyed the, that he who destroyed the firstborn would not touch them. You know the, 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 you know this um, scenario. Pharaoh had decided that he was going to slay all of the, the children, um, all of the Hebrew children. And so God set up his answer being the, the Passover celebration. We could spend a month on that, but basically it was that by faith they were to take a lamb, a certain lamb that they had prepared. They would take the lamb, the blood of the lamb. They were to put it on the doorpost and the lentil of their house. When the death angel came through in judgment on the, uh, the Egyptians, he would see that and would pass them by. Okay. Now, We have insight because we're looking back. But what if you didn't have that and somebody came to your house this afternoon and said, here's a quart of blood. I want you to paint your door with it. It kind of seemed foolish, wouldn't it? You know, what would you do? But God, again, working in the lives of the people, he probably, they didn't understand, I don't believe. They knew that they were obeying God, but they couldn't have understood what, what the true significance of this was. 1 Corinthians 1.18 says, The word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to those who are being saved, it is the power of God. And I think that surely the, the application of the blood on these doors must have been the foolishness um, of God to some of those people. But they obeyed. Even when they couldn't understand, they obeyed. Faith believes what it cannot, what reason cannot. How could the blood of a lamb painted on a doorpost save anyone? The power of faith is in the, is in the object of that faith. The power was not in the blood of the lamb, but in God who, who and obedience to what he had, had said to do. Okay. It was their faith that overcame the Passover was important to the Israelites for it uh, would come to commemorate deliverance from bondage in Egypt. And, of course, they still celebrate that. The Passover lamb would take even more significance 
as it looked forward to the coming of the Lamb of God, which takes away the sins of the world. It was not the, the life of the Lamb, but the death that would save them. You know, there's few pictures in the Old Testament as clear as the picture of the Lamb, the sacrificed Lamb. It's a beautiful, beautiful thing. Throughout the centuries, the Passover would be celebrated annually, and the sacrifice of the lambs would be repeated daily. Can you imagine how many lambs <laughs> lost their life in 2,000 years? And yet, you know, th my understanding is, again today, the, in the Catholic Church, every, every time they offer Mass, Christ is sacrificed again. You know, they, they don't realize that it's once for all. The sins of God's people would be ceremoniously placed on the Lamb, and God's righteous judgment would fall on the Lamb in their place or in our place. Here we go with substitutionary atonement. Some people say they can't believe in that. But if you don't have substitutionary atonement, you don't have a gospel. That's the basis of our gospel. But Scripture tells us that it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. While the sacrifice was a foreshadow of the perfect sacrifice God would provide, it was not an, ap an accurate, an acceptable substitute. Okay. But when Christ appeared, Hebrews 9 tells us, but when Christ appeared as the high priest of the good things to come, he entered through the greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is, not of this creation, and not through the blood of goats and calves, but through his own blood, he entered the holy place once for all, having obtained eternal redemption. Only the blood of Christ was an acceptable sacrifice because he was the only sinful, sinless sacrifice that could be offered. He and he alone. Moses submitted to and trusted in God's provision for their deliverance from Egypt. I don't know where that sentence came from. I guess it was just a random thought because it, <laughs> it doesn't really fit. No extra charge, okay? Today we have a great high priest who has offered the perfect, acceptable sacrifice to atone for our sins, has propitiated the wrath of God, and has imputed his righteousness to our account. He makes us holy, acceptable, blameless, and beyond reproach in him. We must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. That's our response to his provision. Had a thought and just lost it. Okay. Moses trusted in God's Passover. Something that maybe he's had to scratch his head at it at first. Lord, why, why, do you, why do we need to do this? No doubt when they saw the death angel Passover, they still may not have understood a whole lot but more, but at least they knew they had made the right decision, right? Can you imagine here they are in their section of the world, hearing the moanings, the screaming, and all from the camp of the Egyptians, 
mourning over the loss of their firstborn. And yet they were safe and secure. They were safe and secure. So by faith, Moses trusted God's Passover. And then verse 29. I don't think I read 28. Did I? But in verse 29, by faith, Moses passed through the Red Sea. By faith, they passed through the Red Sea as though they were passing through dry land. And the Egyptians, when they attempted it, were drowned. Uh, I, I kind of see perhaps that the, the Red Sea was kind of a, a midterm exam for the Israelites to, to kind of check their, their faith in God and what God was going to do. God had provided a deliverer that they had prayed for. They had seen his deliverance through the Passover, pictured through the Passover, and they were ready to move out of Egypt, trusting God for all of their needs. And, and I believe that, 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 that Red Sea, I mean, I'm, my mind's going back to the movie now, okay? So, but uh, it's hard to separate um, the two in my own mind. But to see God's power and the parting of that sea and the faith that was required by the Israelites, by the children of Israel, the Israelites, to walk through that, it's an awesome thing. And we know that God uses everything that he brings into our lives to prepare us for what's to come. But here, just as God was asking them to make possibly the biggest step of faith, Leaving Egypt, as bad as it was, they still had, what was it, their leeks and their garlics and whatever it was that they wanted to go back to. They still had a certain amount of, of um, comfort there. And they needed to leave. They needed to have an understanding that God would and could provide for them, that he was powerful and that he was taking them out of Egypt in, this, in his power. And I believe that's part of the, the Red Sea experience. I believe that that's part of what he was trying to build into their lives. When they left, the people had no guarantees but to trust the promises of God. Whereas they didn't have a Walmart on every corner when they left. They were going out into a land where they could not raise crops. They didn't know where water would come from. Is that rain? Maybe not. Sorry, I didn't mean to distract you. <laughs> I mean, you talk about dependence on God. He was all they had. We sing Christ is all I need, all I need. They were in that, that situation. They had nothing else to call on. The test of faith is trusting God when all we have is his promises. You ever been in that situation? When the waters are piled high all around us and problems and dangers are about to overwhelm us, this is when faith is tested and when God takes special pleasure in showing his faithfulness, his love, and his power. When we have nothing but his promise to rely on, his help is the nearest and his presence the dearest to those who believe, Mr. MacArthur.
can't say that I've been in a situation where I felt, except with one exception, where I felt that God was my only hope and choice. Now, maybe that, I think I've said that wrong, because obviously for, for salvation. Let me give you my illustration. Maybe that will tell you better than I can. Some years ago, a number of years ago, uh, I was taken sick at work, and they took me to the hospital. And I was in a mental and physical state that I couldn't even think straight. You ever been that way? I'm not talking about senior moments like I have right now, but, um, you know, Russ, stop you laughing. <laughs> um, I mean, I couldn't, I couldn't attach to anything. If that makes sense. The only thing that on my mind was what Job said, though he slay me, yet will I trust him. And that's the only thing that I had to hold on to. And as it came out, I, I had, this was a, a time when um, they were, had diagnosed me as having MS. And I had known one person who had it. And um, that person had, had never recovered. Within a year or two, they, they were gone. And as I've come to find out after that, that's not the norm. That's something, you know. But that was the mindset that I had. And I couldn't think. I couldn't do anything. But God's word was there. Though he slay me, yet will I trust him. You know. And that's what the people of Israel had to, that, that needed to be their frame of mind. And as, as we know from history, it wasn't, you know, they weren't too many days out of Egypt when they started complaining. Not that I would do that, you understand, but they were doing that. But the Word of God is the only thing, guys, that we can, can relate to, that we, we can absolutely trust in. The promises of God, His presence with us, that's the only thing we can build on that's not going to disappoint us. So how did Moses, kind of a recap, how did Moses' life of faith honor God? I was going through and kind of developing this, and all of a sudden my mind went to, to Paul in Philippians 3, and it just parallels each one of these things. It was just amazing to me to see this. Moses' life of faith honored God in that Moses accepted God's plan for his life and submitted to it. You know, sometimes we have our own plan for our own lives, and we wreak all kinds of problems when we make that, put that ahead of God's plan for us. But um, Paul said, I press on that I may lay hold of that for which I was laid hold of by Christ. He had a good understanding of God's plan for his life. It was developing, but he had a good understanding. And he accepted that, and he committed to it. By both Mo Moses rejected the false values and promises of the world. Paul said, whatever things were gained to me, those things I have counted as loss for the sake of Christ. I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus. 
think the, the, stand, the, the, the stand that Paul made there was what Moses must have made. Moses chose to build his life on the eternal promises of God. Paul said that I might know him, gain him, be found in him, know the power of his resurrection, know the fellowship of his suffering, being conformed to his death, attain to the resurrection of the dead. All of the, the, the eternal purposes, the thing that God wants to build in our lives, these were the things that Paul wanted, that he was, was reaching out for. And I believe this is the same thing that we see in the life of Moses. And then lastly, Moses endured accepting unseen fulfillment by faith. I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal. I press on towards the goal. He endured by faith to receive God's promises. And that's, I think that's the message for us this morning. You know, sometimes you just want to throw in the towel. Had enough, God? My wife's here and I can't, I'm feeling guilty. <laughs> I, I, that's where I've been sometime recently, this week. You know, you just want to throw in the towel. God, I, no. But the only way that I can see his perfect plan worked out is to endure. Even when I can't understand, even when I can't see what he's, what, he's got, what he's doing or what he's got out there for me, without endurance, we will not live a life of faith. It was required of Moses. It was required of, uh, of Paul. It's required of us. And that faith has got to be built on the Word of God. Okay. Next week, we're going to look by faith at, um, since we're close to Christmas, we're going to look at, by faith at, at um, Joseph and Mary and one of my favorite biblical characters, the one that I guess I would, a little, little bit of sad about him, but I would pattern my life if I had, I need to pattern my life after, and that's Simeon. Oh, my goodness, that man had a heart for God that wouldn't stop. So we're going to look at that next week, okay? Russ, would you pray for us, and then we're going to leave.